my gosh, this is crazy. I'm shaking. Um, well, I just, everyone in this category is absolutely amazing. Every song so deserving. Um, the cool thing about this song is that these ladies started it in a flow moment at church, like a prophetic moment. And uh, never underestimate what God can do with a seed. And it's amazing the big things he can do in small places and, and insignificant, seemingly insignificant places. And so I just want to say we finished it over text. And it's just so cool. We rallied the team together, finished this song, and it's been awesome in a season where the world is riddled with fear. We know that perfect love casts out all fear, and that perfect love is Jesus Christ. And so if you're dealing with that, man, turn to Jesus. We want to encourage you. Y'all team, I'm proud of you. love you. And um, yeah, thank y'all so much for listening to it and supporting us. I mean, you can't just let, it's not often that one of your worship leaders wins four Grammys. Okay, so we got we to gotta say something about that. And uh, the thing that stood out to me, and uh, Brittany and Brandon are, are here, and I won't make them stand up because I want you to leave them alone, let them worship. This is their <laughs> church, okay? But um, uh, just the opportunity to be honored for the gift that God has given you. And then there have been some that have been critical of the environment. I mean, if you watch the show, it was a little, I didn't watch the whole show. I just didn't <laughs> going to say that. And, and people have been a little, you know, how can you, you know, be like that there? And I'm like, I'm like this. I'm like, I'm going to preach the gospel today in this place. This is a piece of cake, okay? Most of you guys are predisposed to, you know, uh, appreciate God, like the gospel, and kind of like me. Brandon goes into an environment where a lot of people are hostile to the gospel, and he preaches the gospel in an arena like that. That's amazing. That's amazing. Brandon, we love you. We support you. Oh, maybe I'll get a Grammy someday. He's, he's got five already, but uh, so... Oh, welcome. I want to welcome everybody. <laughs> We're glad that you're here, uh, here in this building, other buildings uh, around South Carolina, North Carolina, and uh, online. Uh, I know one of my friends is watching right now from uh, one of my favorite places, the Hartsville Airport in Atlanta, not, <laughs> but, uh, and uh, all over the world. And we're glad uh, that you are are here. We really are. So let me ask a couple questions. How many of you like football? You like football, okay? All right, you like football. All right. So uh, statistically, about twice as many men as women like football, although it's a growing um, demographic that's get, getting involved in football. And so uh, let me ask you another question. How many of you like Valentine's Day? Valentine's Day. It's a little weak. Those statistics are flipped, okay? <clears throat> Guys, don't forget about that. This week, we have two in one week national holidays. One brought to you by the NFL, the Super Bowl, tonight. Don't kid yourself, it is a holiday. And one brought to you by the Hallmark Card Company. Uh, <laughs> actually, uh, St. Valentine's Day is a, uh, it, it's a church holiday in it. A church feast on the church calendar for a lot of years and celebrates um, two 
uh, martyrs of the church. You didn't know that. You just knew it was about kisses and hearts and all that. But today, what I'm going to do, when they told me that I get the opportunity to preach today, we're in a relationship series right now. Last week, Adam just did a tremendous job uh, kicking us off in a relationship series. And so they said, we're in a relationship series. And what we want you to do is we want you to pick your best scripture on relationship. And we want you to uh, make it about relationship, but clothe it in football. And uh, this is something I have not done in 35 years here. But I'm excited about it because the passage I want to speak from, I believe, is the Super Bowl of relationships. It's, it's, it's the key scripture on relationships. And here's, here's what I want to do is I want to read it. And then we're going to make some comments and pull some principles out of it. But what I'd like you to do is just kind of follow along this first time. We're going to read out loud sometimes. This time, I just want you to follow along as I read what God has to say about relationships. Okay? Since God chose you, say me. When he says you, that's me. I mean, that's not me, but that's you. It is me and you. Okay? It's all y'all. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. So I get a picture of Coach Paul the Apostle, and he's coaching up team body of Christ. And he's saying, you got to do this. These are the rules. This is how you engage. You know, I think that This passage and this message is applicable to any team. It's applicable to a sports team. Oh, what was interesting? Brennan, I think you probably saw this, but and I'm not going to say which team because it would mean that I favored one over the other and I can't favor, you know, teams and politics and all of that. But one of the teams, they were interviewing one of the guys and he said, what gets him pumped up before the game is... He puts his headphones on and listens to Gratitude, which is the number one song in Christianity today, this week. That's kind of cool. I think that's kind of cool. But anyway, this this passage applies to a sports team. It applies to a marriage team. It applies to business teams, friendship teams, anywhere relationships are involved. You can can apply this passage. And so what I want to do is I want to pull six principles on building winning relationships from Colossians chapter 3. And here we go. Here's the first one. And the first one is what I'm going to call security. Security. And in football language, that means remember who drafted you. Remember who drafted you. This is what he says. He says, since God chose, can you say the word chose? So since God drafted He chose you to be the holy people he loves. You must. So he says, you got to do some things. There's some important things. But before you do anything, you remember who chose 
you. Why? Because there's something about being chosen that builds confidence. Would you agree with that? You remember being in school? You remember you were the little kid in school? And the teacher said, you know the answer to? Remember when you used to raise your hand? Yeah, yeah, I know. Sometimes you didn't even know. You just wanted to be chosen. You ever had that kid, teacher, some of you do that? You call on the kid and they have no clue about anything. It's like, oh, yeah. Because being chosen is so confidence building. It builds confidence. Do you remember being chosen to make the team? I remember, you know, when when I was going out for sports teams, they used to, I don't know, they do it like this anymore, but they used to write a list and put it on a locker. Anybody remember those days, write a list, put it on a locker, the ones that were, you know, that were, that were chosen. And you'd go, all the guys or girls would gather around that list and you'd look for your name. And if your name wasn't there, you'd act really cool. I didn't want to be on the team anyway. You know, I mean, who cares? You know, that's just, that's not cool. But really inside, when you saw your name, wow, it builds confidence. When you were chosen at love, Build confidence when you were chosen on, you know, the, the, the work team or by a company or maybe in politics, you were elected to lead. And there is a security. There is a confidence that comes from that. Now, there's a couple of compelling stories from the Super Bowl uh, on being chosen. One of them is actually not from the Super Bowl. His team didn't make it. They made it all the way to the uh, National League championship last week. And I think uh, Brock Purdy is his name. I think he played for San Francisco. And and uh, gosh, this is going to be rough today. People are already booing, all right? So we don't boo in church, all right? <laughs> so, so this kid, this kid out of high school, uh, he, he, he's being recruited, and he's told by one college coach that he would never amount to anything, that his skills were average. And I won't say who that is because I do not want to offend Alabama fans. It's the last, last thing I want to do. And so, and so this kid went to another school, and then, and then come draft time, they draft players. He was the last player drafted in seven rounds, and his, his nickname is what? Do you remember? Mr. Irrelevant. And Mr. Irrelevant ends up being the starting quarterback, actually it's third string, and then he got hurt, and then fourth string, then fifth string a week ago. They almost made it to the Super Bowl with Mr. Irrelevant, but he didn't feel irrelevant because somebody drafted him. He felt chosen. This week, there's another one of those stories, and it's Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts. Great Christian young man, by the way. Both quarterbacks this week are great Christian young men. But he, uh, he again, he was rejected by his college football coach. Same one that rejected the other one. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that, really. And, uh, and, and he's chosen in the second round, which is where you choose backup quarterbacks, not starters. And he's used that as a motivation, and he's very happy to be chosen. He's going to be a starting quarterback tonight. Well, you know, here's, here's the problem is many of us, have been rejected. We've experienced rejection from a mother or a father or a son or a daughter or a spouse or a significant other. Or maybe it's a friend or an employer or an employee. And what it does, it doesn't leave us feeling secure. It leaves us feeling insecure. And the opposite of being confident. 
And insecurity sabotages relationships. Either we don't trust anybody because they're going to do the same thing to us, or we become needy and we wear people out trying to get our significant cup full. Chip Judd, who is on our staff and he's one of our counselors, he uses this illustration. He was in the last service and he said, you know, when you use that illustration, there was an anointing on it. It kind of went down after that. But anyway, I'm borrowing this from him. And he talks about the fact that, that we all have a significant cup, a significance cup. And, and in work or in marriage or on a team, wherever it is, we walk around. And if our significant cup isn't full, then we walk around. We want people to fill our cup all the time. Fill my cup. Make me feel good. Give me the significance that I need. And what happens is we become really, really needy. And rather than people reaching out, they reach away. And he said, what we need to do is we need to hold our cup up to the Lord and ask God to fill our cup so that when we walk around in our marriage or at work or on a team, rather than trying to get our cup filled, we're overflowing, overflowing, overflowing into others. Okay, And that's why this is so very, very important. Uh, Jesus is our example. Remember, it said that God has chosen, since God has chosen you. We see it in Jesus' uh, life and in his relationships. So he's, he's lived his, most of his life, you know, his earthly life here, and he's getting ready to be crucified and leaves, and he knows that. And, uh, and, and so he's calling his team together in John 14, 15, 16, 17, to give a last-minute talk about the important principles that they're going to need to live out in order to carry on the message. And in verse 13, he's got to do something as they come together to really illustrate what the kingdom is all about. And uh, so watch this in John 13 and verse 3. It says, Jesus knew. Can you say Jesus knew? I want you to think about that. This is something Jesus knew. It's important. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So, this is, this is what's important when you read the word. The word so always relates to something before. So, he was able to do this because of what? Because of the confidence he had in knowing who he was. He was chosen by the Father. He came from the Father. He's going back to the Father. So he could do something interesting. And here we have a foot washing thing. Now, I went to a wedding not long ago, and the bride and groom washed each other's feet. And it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a cool moment. And it was wonderful. But I'm thinking, you know, they probably took a shower this morning and, like, cleaned up their feet already. And so this is almost symbolic, really. And yet in the day of Jesus... They would walk barefoot or with open sandals and on dusty, dirty roads. Not just dusty, dirty roads, but roads filled with cow poop and horse stuff. And all of this is just the way it was. In the shower that often. And so when they came into a nice place, in order not to mess up the place, the owner of the place would take the least significant person, whoever it was, and their job was to wash feet. And so that's what Jesus does. Look what he says. He says, so he got up from the table, took his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. 
They don't have a, some of them had a real hard time with that because that's just not what people like Jesus do. But because he knew who he was, he wasn't looking to those around him to fill his cup. His cup was full. His cup was full. So he was freed to serve. He was secure in who he was so he could relate in the way that he was supposed to. And so someone said that we get our significance from what those who matter most think about us. Would you agree with that? We get our significance from what those who matter most think about us. If you don't know me and you really don't matter to me, I really don't care what you think about me. But if you know me and you're very significant in my life, I care a lot about what you think about me. And the problem is this, is you can't control what other people think about you, whether they accept you or reject you. But what you can control is who matters most. Did you get that? And that's why it is so significant that we have a relationship with God, not just saying some words somewhere that I committed my life to Christ, that's important, but that every day, the one who matters most is my father. I have a, an alert. I've told you this before on my phone every morning that says this is going to be a wonderful day. This is going to be a, actually, this is going to be a great day because I have a father who loves me. It has a wonderful plan for my life. That's what matters. And when you have that at the forefront, then you can uh, do what you need to do. Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, then you must. We can feel secure when we remember we've been chosen by God. Now, that's the most I'm going to talk about one of these, in case you're worried about it. You're thinking, this message is going to go clear to the Super Bowl. No, no. Here's number two, civility, civility, okay? Civility, second key to building winning relationships, civility. In football lingo, no stupid penalties, no stupid penalties, okay? <laughs> In football, it looks like chaos, but they actually play by the rules. There, there's a set of rules, got to play by them. There's guys in striped uniforms that are watching all the time to make sure that, that you're being civil, that you're playing according to the rules. And stupid penalties can kill a team. In fact, the most penalized teams in the NFL, I looked this up, the most, two most penalized teams in the NFL this year were the Arizona Cardinals and, wait for it, the Denver Broncos. I'm a Denver Bronco fan. That's why I did not wear a jersey. I mean, <laughs> I know Josh said, wear your jerseys. You know what the most jerseys in here, other than the two that are playing, is the Steelers. You guys are everywhere. <laughs> just chill. It really looks out of place. I just want to tell you that. It just, just... But the two things that the Broncos and the Cardinals have in common is that they're the most penalized team in the NFL and they aren't playing tonight. It's two things. Why? Because stupid penalties can kill a team. In fact, the AFC championship two weeks ago, how many of you are Cincinnati fans? Any Cincinnati fans in the house? You know that Cincinnati would be playing tonight if it wasn't for a stupid penalty right at the end, right? Yeah, because stupid penalties can kill a team. In relationships, same thing. You play by the rules. 
stupid penalties can kill a relationship. Got to play by the rules. What are the rules of relationship? The rules are civility. And here they are. Next verse. Clothe yourself. He says, because you're chosen, clothe yourself in the rules. Clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Those are the rules of relationship. You say, that doesn't work in today's world, in the real world. You're right. That's why we're losing it, relationships. Marriages are broken. Friends are destroyed. Teams are torn, torn apart. Our country is as polarized as it's ever been because we're not playing by the rules. So how do you win with civility even when you don't agree with somebody? Is there anybody you know that you need to be civil with that you don't necessarily agree with and don't point? Okay, just raise your hand. Right. How do you do it? Let me, give you a, let me give you a couple of ideas. Number one, stay calm. Stay calm. When you raise your voice, nobody's listening. When you raise your voice, somebody needs to drop a flag. Penalty flag. Five yards. That's it. Okay. Yeah, because it's not, it's not doing anything. Secondly, be respectful. Be respectful. No inflammatory words. Always. You always. You never. No, drop a penalty flag. You know, I... <laughs> I eavesdrop on conversations every once in a while. <laughs> at restaurants, in the line, you know, at Walmart, or even out in the foyer here, you know. <laughs> and I'll hear either married couples or engaged couples that have been engaged a while, you know. Don't have long engagements. Just don't do that. And I'll, I'll hear them being uncivil in their conversations. Well, you never. Or they'll say something, and I'll go, I want to run right over it and just drop a flag. No, nope, penalty. Whoa, 15 yards. Serious. I, I, I think about these things. I think about, you know, this couple, probably, there was a time when they could see only each other. It, it's kind of just make you sick in a restaurant. You know, they're just holding hands and looking at each other, and they're, up at the bar, you know, and he's got whatever. And, and uh, it's just, and they're just saying this wonderful thing. And you flash forward and they're saying awful stuff about one another. Drop a flag. That's uncivil. Eliminate it. Not just marriages, but in friendships and in teams and everywhere. If you're going to win at relationship, you've got to be secure and you've got to be Civil. Here's the third thing. Third principle in building great relationships is reality. Reality. Let me tell you what I mean. Football, that means make the best of a broken play. Make the best of a broken play. The reality is, no matter how hard you practice, sometimes the play is just not going to work. Any coaches in the house, you know that. Somebody misses a block. The other team throws a surprise. Somebody messes up a play. You're going to see that tonight at the Super Bowl if you watch it. Now, there's nobody better at making the best of broken plays than the quarterback for the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes. He is the king of improvisation. If you watch tonight, what's probably going to happen is at some point, somebody's going to miss a block. So uh, Play's not going to work. And rather than taking a sack or a loss of yards, 
He will throw an underhand pass. He'll jump and do something or take off running. And they'll go, where did that come from? He actually practices that stuff. He practices that stuff. So if you're going to win in relationships, you're going to have to get good at making the best of broken plays reality. Here's what the Bible says. Well, before the Bible says that, (laughs) I'll read that in a minute. Life and relationships don't always go according to plan. Would you agree with that? In the words of the great theologian, Mike Tyson. (laughs) He says, everybody has a plan until you get slugged in the mouth. Now, don't be slugging anybody in the mouth. But you might have a great plan and boom, there it goes. Reality hits. Somebody is going to say something or do something that's hurtful and uncivil. They shouldn't. Then what do you do about it? Here's the next verse. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you. So we must. Can you say must? You must forgive others. Here's a question. What if we all did that? What if in every relationship, you just assumed that there were going to be broken plays? You just, you just, because here's what happens. We fall in love. He's perfect. No, he isn't. He's screwed up. Okay. You just haven't deserved, you just haven't figured it out yet. Or we come into a new church. A lot of you have come into Seacoast, you know, first of the year and come to church and I'm glad you're here. It's a pretty jacked up place, really. It looks good, but it's got a whole bunch of human beings in the place redeemed by God's grace. Everybody in process, some trying real hard and some should be. Okay. That's the way it is. You go into a small group. Oh, this small group is so much better than the last five small groups we've been in. You're the problem. Okay. You are the problem. People are going to mess up. They just are. We shouldn't, but we do. So what if you decided in advance you were going to make allowance for that? You were going to, you were going to forgive anybody who's offended you. Now, let me talk about this just a minute. I'm not talking about letting an abuser just keep abusing you, okay? You do have to forgive them. You don't have to stay in the same place. But that's a fraction of the people that you run into. Most people are just pretty good-hearted people who just mess up. Have you ever, anybody in here ever messed up relationally at all? Okay. Said something you shouldn't have said, did something. Okay. Yeah. So what if we all said, ah, rather than cancel, rather than leave, whatever, I am going to be committed to relationship. How would that impact the quality of your life and relationships? So if you're going to win at relationship, you got to get real secure in who's called you and who's you are. You've got to have a set of rules that you're going to play by, and then recognize that occasionally that's going to be violated. Don't, don't you be counting on, you know, grace for your violations. No, you do your part. But understand, there are going to be people that, that hurt you, so plan on reality. And the fourth thing you do in building great relationships is unity. Unity. Um, and in football lingo, I'll say play for the name on the front of the jersey. Okay? In sports... Usually the name on the front of the jersey is the team name. 
on the back of the jerseys, whatever you want it to be. You know, we got big fella and bigger fella here, but you know, you got your name. The, the rule of thumb is in football, the team that plays together usually wins. Talent matters. That's why they have a draft. Okay. But anybody ever seen a team that had a selfish superstar that can destroy the culture of the team? Talent matters, but teamwork wins. It's impossible for the name on the back to win if the name on the front doesn't. And great teams buy into this concept of we. Someone said there's no I in team. Michael Jordan said there's an I in win. I'm not going to argue with Michael, but there's no I in team. Look at what Peter Drucker, um, great business consultant, died just a few years ago, man of God. Here's what he wrote. The leaders who work most effectively, it seems to me, never say I. And that's not because they have trained themselves not to say I. They don't think I. They think we. They think team. They understand their job to be to make the team function. They accept responsibility and don't sidestep it, but we get the credit. This is what creates trust and what enables you to get the job done. Let's see what the scripture says. Above all, can you say above all together? Above all. Let's say it again. Above all. Let's say it one more time like you believe it. Above all. What does that mean? No, it doesn't mean above all. I know it means that. It means the most important thing. So these things are important right here. Security, civility, reality, unity above all, it says. Clothe yourself with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. Okay? Clothe yourself. Most important question is what would love do in this situation? Ephesians 4 and verse 3 is kind of a, a parallel verse. And it says, make every effort. Say every effort together. Let's say it again. One more time. What does that mean? It's the most important thing. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace. And why is this so important? Because when a team or a church or a marriage is in unity, they're almost impossible to beat. When a team or a marriage or a church is in disunity, it's almost impossible to win. And guess what? You have an enemy. Look to your neighbor and tell him you have an enemy. It's not me. Yeah, okay, hang on. I didn't ask you to get a date. There's times for that, but it's just focus, focus. I'm about out of time. You have an enemy. He's the prince and ruler of this world. And he has a strategy against your marriage. He has a strategy against your family. He has a strategy against any team that you're a part of. And that's this to sow confusion and conflict. Because when a team is in unity, there's nothing that can stop them. When there's disunity, confusion, and conflict, they can't win. That's why Ephesians 6 says, put on all of God's armor 
so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of, of the devil. And then it skips down to verse 15 for shoes put on the, the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Prepared for what? For the strategy that the enemy has against your team. When you see confusion, when you see disunity, put a tag on it. That's the devil. That is the enemy of our soul, and he has a strategy for it, and we're not going to follow his strategy. So if you're going to win it, relationships, you've got to know who chose you. and Be secure in that. You've got to operate within civility, and there's a, 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 a rules, and it's gentleness and all of the good things that were listed. Uh, the reality is people are going to mess up every once in a while, and you've got to plan for it in advance. In advance, I'm going to forgive anybody who, who uh, uh, mistreats me and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight for the unity. The unity is the most important thing, and I'm going to fight for the unity. And then uh, number five is what I call serenity. Serenity, okay? Let the game come to you. I've got a picture of uh, the Dallas Cowboys who also won't be in the Super Bowl, which is kind of nice. It's kind of good, but... Uh, in football, there's a phenomenon that happens to quarterbacks, especially in the second or third year. You have an outstanding quarterback that's drafted. Dak Prescott would be one of those in that picture. Any of these guys that are playing today. And in their first years, they're just overwhelmed at the speed, the difference in speed in the professional game and the college game. And they say in the second or third year, the game seems to slow down. Does it really slow down? No, those people are still fast but they get it. They become more patient. They don't rush things. It's called letting the game come to you. And look at what the Bible says. In relationships, he says, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And when you practice the four previous keys, security, civility, reality, unity, there will be peace. Peace will come to you in your relationship. Notice it says, let the peace. Peace isn't something you produce. Peace happens when you let the Holy Spirit bring the game to you. Now, there is uh, chaos in the world. I mean, the opposite of peace. Have you ever experienced chaos instead of peace because you tried to make something happen? Anybody have a testimony on that? When you didn't wait? Most mistakes happen when you don't wait. Scripture says we aren't called to chaos. We're called to peace. Sometimes there's a lack of peace because the timing is wrong. You know, have you ever felt like you were ready and God wasn't? You were ready to get married. You were ready to have a family. You were ready to have a new career. You were ready to make a major purchase. You were ready and God wasn't. You had all this tension going on and you just jumped ahead of it and made a poor decision. I, I realize that there's such a thing as temporary divine discontentment. I got a whole message that I do on that, divine discontentment. That's what challenged me, to our team, to start this church. We were, we were discontent with our inability to reach our neighbors and friends. And so we started this. And that's one of the things that drove us. There, there, there is that. And sometimes when God is driving you to something else, there's a temporary divine discontentment. But you were never designed to live in a permanent state of restlessness. And some of you have that. There's a constant state of restlessness. You were created for peace. The secret to peace is found in the final 
key to winning relationships, and it's called gratitude or thankfulness. Okay? Gratitude or thankfulness. Just be thankful for the opportunity. Look what the scripture says. It closes it with, oh, and by the way, be thankful. Be thankful. How often are we to be thankful? Always. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, in all things, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. See, when gratitude walks out, guess what comes in? Entitlement. When gratitude walks out, entitlement comes in, and entitlement doesn't live well. It just doesn't. You might think, this is, you know, this isn't fair, this is not, da, 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 da. that doesn't live well. Doesn't mean that you don't allow God to use you and in injustices in life, you do. But there's, you can, you can be grateful in the midst of solving a problem. Don't ever let gratitude walk out. So here's what I want to do. I want to conclude, and uh, I'm going to read the scriptures again. And I want you to think about what we've talked about. I'm, I'm going to ask you in just a minute, just close your eyes while I read the scripture. And, you know, we're not going to deal with it. Each one of us deals with different ones of these in different ways. I want you to think about which one of these really speaks to me from the scripture. Where do I need to give it to God and take my next step? Maybe it's in, in giving my life to Christ. Or maybe it's in really, really having an understanding that I am chosen by Almighty God, the security that comes with that. Maybe it's civility. Maybe I let my mouth get out ahead of my wisdom of God. Maybe it's reality. Maybe I set somebody up too high and I'm having a hard time now. Or maybe somebody has said something or done something and I just want to hold on to it. It says, be sure to forgive. Might be unity. Maybe you're fighting for something else besides unity and it's killing your team. Maybe it's serenity. Maybe you're having a hard time just waiting on God's peace. Maybe it's gratefulness. So close your eyes here and wherever you happen to be. And I'm going to read the scripture. And I want you to just ask, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, that's security. You must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Does that characterize you in your conversations? Civility. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. You're struggling with forgiveness. That might be the one. About reality. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds all of us together in perfect harmony. That's unity. Are you fighting for unity or are you fighting for something else? And let the peace that comes from Christ rule your hearts. For as members of one body, we are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. God, I thank you for each person that's gathered in this room and in rooms all across our state and around screens, wherever they happen to be. God, we're examining our hearts and our lives. We want our teams to win. God, would you, would you draw us closer to you? God, would you pinpoint areas that we can really bring to the cross 
and ask you to fix and forgive. Father, I pray that in each one of our hearts that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So we're gonna have a time of um, just responding to God. Two questions, what's God saying to you? Did God kind of put a, a light on one of these areas as you were just kind of thinking about it, praying about it? It's a, kind of a next step. I want to challenge you with that. For some of us, it's going to be really firming up that relationship with God. Maybe that you feel pretty distant in that first area. God called you. Maybe you haven't responded to God's call to be a part of God's family. And what I want you to do is just to whisper a prayer to him. Just where you sit and say, God, yes. Lord, help me to see my security in you. God, I want to know you. God, would you forgive me of my sin through Jesus Christ? Just whisper a prayer to him. It doesn't have to be something fancy or the magic words. Just saying, God, I want to be a part of your family. Others of us, maybe we want to get up and go to a cross or candles. Maybe have somebody pray for us. And, and we, when you do, you're, you're maybe praying for that area of where you need growth. Maybe it happens to be civility. And you know that Man, you're just, you've blown some relationships with your words. Or maybe it's a reality you haven't forgiven. Unity you're not fighting for. Whatever it happens to be. You just go to a cross or a candle, just light a candle. Say, may the light of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit be in my life in this area. Maybe you need prayer. You know, what's amazing is, as I got up early this morning, I was reading from the Proverbs, Proverbs 12, uh, it's the 12th day of February. And um, one of the Proverbs talked about that, uh, that, the, that, that our words can be healing for people. And, and I thought about the fact that all of us today in this place can be exposed to God's healing. And we have people in the front after every service that they just are full of faith for you. And they want their words to be healing to you. And they want... They want you to borrow their words, borrow their faith. And so never stop. Listen, when you go, ah, I probably ought to go forward, but I really don't have time or I have to wait. That's not God telling you that. Okay. God wants to speak to you. Then we're going to receive communion. We're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus did all of this so that we could have life. We're going to go to the offering boxes or maybe online and give, and we're going to stand and sing and celebrate an awesome God who loves us. So what's God saying to you? How are you going to respond to him? Let's respond together.